everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Gallery Podcast. I'm your host, Claudio Sorio. Thank you so much for listening in. I want to start this episode by congratulating uh, listener Nicholas Cody for answering the Gallery's episode four trivia question correctly. Uh, I interviewed uh, Kristen Massa in my previous episode. She is a female director producer from Houston, and uh, she wanted to give away a copy of Girl on Girl Art and Photography in the Age of the Female Gaze by Charlotte Jansen, which she talked about on the episode. So I'm very excited that a lot of you guys that are listening wrote in and answered the trivia question. And basically what I did was I just put everybody's name in a pot and then I just drew it out. And Nicholas Cody was the lucky winner, Nicholas from Houston. So thanks guys for listening in and for writing in. You guys are awesome. This week's guest is an amazing woman. I am such a huge fan of her work. She's a writer for the Houston Chronicle. She's an investigative journalist. Her name is Anita Hassan. Hi, Anita. Welcome to the show. Hi, Claudia. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. excited to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how you got started, because you said that you have been doing, covering crime for 10 years now? Yep. Um, And, well, I... Went to the University of St. Thomas, and when I was at the University of St. Thomas, uh, one of our investigative journalism classes was the Innocence Project. So that's really where a lot of my interest in criminal justice really started. And for those not familiar with the Innocence Project, it's a organization there all over the country where people, where inmates send in uh, innocence claims. And usually they're done through law schools and journalism schools and sometimes in conjunction, which is what we did at St. Thomas. We worked with the U of H law students and we investigate the innocence claims of inmates. And so at our school at St. Thomas, it was an investigative journalism class. So we would look to see if there was an actual innocence claim there. And if there was, we would investigate that and we would continue to investigate it and then gather even more evidence to build cases to reopen um this inmate's case and go to go through the court system and work with the U of H law students. And so is this done by state or is it done nationwide? Um, there's, there's a national innocence project network and that's sort of, it's, but they're, they're individual sort of, you know, um, they're individual by schools and by, there's more than one in Texas now at the time there was only one. Um, but there's, there's different ones. People's familiarity might a lot be with the, if they listened to the first, uh, season of Serial. Yeah. That was, you know, that was an innocence project that mm-hmm. was working with those uh, reporters. So that is, uh, sorry, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> so, don't be, don't be. And so that was how I got interested in criminal justice uh, was working with, because there's, you see, there are a lot of people in prison who committed the crimes that they did. There are also a lot of people in prison who didn't and kind of got railroaded and end up there because of bad police work and bad prosecutors and um, a lot of other mistakes. And so it's, and there's also people who end up there who may have committed a crime, but it wasn't justly, the conviction wasn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't come to its conclusion because it was all just and done the right way. Correct. yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to make the criminal justice system work the way it's supposed to work. Sure. Yeah. 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 So can you give me an example of what a case would be that would come in that you read and you were like, oh, no, this guy's definitely guilty. He's just trying every which way to get out. So it's it's sort of a case. It, it's 
it's it's there's not a there's not a blanket thing that you could look at necessarily and just identify that just from looking if there's inconsistencies throughout there's a questionnaire that we used to have them fill out and it's been, it's been more than 10 years so um since i've looked at one of those questionnaires but they would they would fill out this questionnaire if there was inconsistencies in their answers you know or when you looked at the case file there was already there was just evidence that looked at it and it you know that was like okay this is this is something that's fabricated that's new that's clear but sometimes it's not we always tried to go and talk to the inmates schedule interviews with them you can't really get a feel for a person until you talk to them in person so that was really always a first step talking to them and talking to their families and then trying to corroborate evidence you know and sometimes it panned out sometimes it didn't you know it's just it was a case by case basis you couldn't really ever say just by looking at it right off the bat so it's hard to say um usually if people were lying you would find the inconsistency somewhere in their story or if they were like oh yeah you find some key thing you know some question that's unanswered and they're saying oh yeah i just can't i I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little fuzzy, fuzzy on, on the that detail. I don't know what it is, but everything else I remember very specifically. Yeah. I'm like, oh, and usually when people, you know, to me personally, and this is just a personal opinion, the more when people are really, really, really specific about what they remember, yeah, that's actually more suspicious. <laughs> He's like, you know, you know, you know what I didn't do yeah. was kill that man. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't kill him. Yeah, that's all I know. I don't remember yeah. any of the other details. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I can tell you that I didn't do it. And yeah. you're just like, oh, okay, all right, we're, we're taking on your case. Yeah, we're gonna go for it. Go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, yeah. that's that's not <laughs> not something to laugh about, but it's just like I can imagine the desperation that a lot of these inmates go through and as a last resort they're probably like I'm, I, I mean I gotta give this a try right sure yeah, yeah absolutely yeah they I mean there's a I mean prison is not a fun place to be yeah once you get there if you can figure a way to finagle out of there yeah you're gonna a lot try. of people are gonna try you know yeah. and some people really just aren't supposed to be there you yeah know, there are I mean you know there's there are a lot of people that are supposed to be there there are there have been plenty of people Especially a lot with um, actually uh, rape cases before there was really good DNA testing happening. If you look at a lot of people who've been exonerated, it's a lot of people who were accused of rape and it was faulty eyewitness statements, you know, because and not not out of malice all the time, but because people were just. Yeah, it's imperfect. Yeah, it's imperfect. Yeah. Don't remember everything exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's terrifying. And so when they would go back and actually do DNA testing, they would find, oh, Wow. Okay. You're like, uh, shit. Yeah. We got the wrong guy. (laughs) Oh, no. It's been 30 years. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So there's been a lot of cases like that all over the country, but I encourage everybody. The Innocence Project does great work. Um, It was started at Northwestern University. That was the first place um, that really had an Innocence Project. And so everybody should look them up. They're great. (laughs) Look up your local chapter. Support them. <laughs> Are you from Houston? I've been in Houston for since I was seventeen, so um, almost twenty years now. Almost twenty yeah, years. Yeah. So you consider you, yourself a Houstonian? I consider myself a Houstonian now. Right. Yeah. This is home. Yeah. So. So you also work for the Houston Chronicle. I do. How yes. long have you been with the Houston Chronicle? I've been with the Houston Chronicle for. Uh, 10, more than 10 years total now. I ended up as an intern there pretty quickly after I got out of college or after I graduated college. And um, I was at a small 
daily startup. And then I ended up getting onto the projects. There was a, a position on the investigations team that they had sort of created as a makeshift intern position for me to come on and work with the investigative reporters and help them with their investigations. And then I ended up doing that. And then I ended up on the Metro desk as an intern. And then I stayed on as a contract employee working crime uh, for a few years. I was a young reporter, so I had to earn my keep. And then eventually, um, I think six years ago, I was hired on full time. Yeah. So um, when did you realize that that's what you wanted to do, that you wanted to work in newspaper? I think, well, I, I definitely always, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I, I think a lot of people when I was growing up told me that I should be a journalist because I asked too many questions. <laughs> So that's why this whole setup is a little awkward. I feel like I should be asking you the questions. I am I'm in charge You're here. In charge. I am in charge. You are not. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but see, the I um I've always I my mom I've always been curious. I've always loved storytelling. Um I've always been very passionate about people underserved communities and people's voices being shared and that I became more passionate about as I got older and so I always knew that I wanted to be a writer and I think I I don't know I can't remember not wanting to be a journalist I mean my first newspaper article was when I was uh, living in Columbia South Carolina and I was in fifth grade and we started a newspaper in elementary school and it was um it was the I can't remember what the newspaper was called but my mom I'm pretty positive still has the article which I did and it was um called eek a snake oh yeah and it was about this teacher who had a the second grade teacher who had a pet snake in her classroom for her students uh-huh. and so I was like that's cool <laughs> and then there was a, a and then there her. was a cover-up and then yeah. she you <laughs> found out that she brought it in to intimidate the children yeah, yeah. yeah. that's that's young Anita trying to uncover the truth right there I remember also kind of doing yeah. the same thing when I was a kid and we used to use butcher paper yeah. to make like the newspapery, like the same texture oh, yeah. of the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were in elementary school yeah. and, and everybody wanted to be like a copy editor and oh, like, yeah. we didn't know what it meant, but yeah. somebody's dad worked for a newspaper. It was like the spring gazette or something. And so we were like, oh yeah, we know how this works. We can run a newspaper. We're second graders. <laughs> we're second graders. Yeah. <laughs> With a butcher paper yeah, yeah. and a printing machine yeah. which we would just like print everything times new roman and kind of glue it on there make it look <laughs> legit <laughs> um no yeah that's awesome so you lived in south carolina I and did. then you, why did you move to houston well um i tell people i'm an oil brat my dad was in the oil my dad's yeah. in the oil business so we moved around a lot so i was born in florida and then we lived in several i've lived in a lot of different places we moved around a lot a lot so um I can go through the qu- quickly the um so born in West Palm Beach which I don't really remember um because I was probably like 6 months old when we moved from there and then we were in the Tampa Bay Clearwater area and then we moved from there I think around the time that I was 5 to Gulfport Mississippi which was fascinating and I still remember and then we moved to Jacksonville Florida and then we moved back to Gulfport Mississippi and then we moved back to the Clearwater Tampa Bay area, then we moved to Columbia, South Carolina, then we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and then we moved to Houston, Texas. I feel like we should have a map up <laughs> and like just kind of like mark as they go, just for visual sake. Anybody who's listening, just kind of have like a little 
like a little picture of you in a car, like going, <laughs> going around. around. You know what I've always cities. really wanted to do is because I don't have um, people. There's I, I'm fascinated when people have grown up in the same place because I don't have an experience like that where they grew up in the same house, you know, or their parents still live in the house where they were born. Uh, hi, hello, that's me. That's awesome. So I think that's fantastic. <laughs> you were about to say uh, that sucks for them. No, I think it's so cool, right? Because you have these all that nostalgia and all those memories like they still they're just really tangible right and so for me there's all this these things that I remember as a kid but that I don't I can't I can't I've never gone back and seen them so I've always wanted to go on a road trip and uh where I start from West Palm where I was born and just go to the hospital where I was born and which I'm hoping is still there. I think it probably is. And going to all the places that I lived and going to the houses we lived in, the schools that I went to, the playgrounds where I played, anything that I remember, an ice cream shop where I, whatever memory I have of that particular area, I just wanted to revisit it as an adult and sort of go back through my childhood because that's the way I would have to do it, right? Because, and so, because there's this, particular reason I thought of that is because I remembered when we lived in Gulfport, Mississippi, we lived right across the street from the the Gulf. Like we had, we knew we weren't going to be there long. So my parents had gotten it, rented this town home and that beach was disgusting. I mean, it was right there, but it mm. was just covered in jellyfish. Ugh. The water was full of sewage. We really weren't allowed to go over there. We really <laughs> didn't want to. Yeah. And so, but across there were, when I was a kid, I can describe what I saw as a child. Like I saw this there were these woods across like the street, what they looked like this big jungle. And so my little brother and I used to like, we used to gather, like go through all the couch cushions and like get all the change and get them out of like my parents, you know, pockets and stuff and like have all this change. And we would go through this, what we thought was this jungle where we would come to like this amazing, the most amazing playground we'd ever seen. And it was, the reason it was amazing to us is because there was a tire swing, which is one of the <laughs> coolest things. Yeah. When you're a kid, it's oh, a yeah. tire swing. Yeah. And then there was this room, like this like little room there that had all these vending machines. And so we would take that, we would go play on the tire swing. We'd take the change we gathered and we'd get Cokes and candy. And it was just this magical thing. Now, in reality, <laughs> I think that, that we were walking through some shrubs to what was probably like a crackhead motel. Yeah. And that was like a laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> the, corner, <laughs> the corner store. I mean, it was. With the laundromat. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was It was not, you know, it was probably not something little kids should be maybe doing on their own. But to us, it was this magical thing. It was so big to me. So to see it as an adult would be really interesting. Although I... Because after the Hurricane Katrina, I'm sure it was really wiped out, which is an in- another reason I kind of want to go back to that area because I'm sure a lot of my memories there are just completely different or gone. You know, places the places that I that I grew up in over there. So. I can't even go back to my old school because yeah, I, you, yeah. can't, you can't even walk through it because everything seems so small. It does seem small. Yeah. yeah. Like have you ever gone? Have you ever done that? Have you? Yeah. 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 Um, I I do it more often than I'd like to admit yeah. because um, my elementary school is actually in my neighborhood and so I know when they have like the open houses and I can go in there and like visit my old teachers and um I put a badge on and put my name on so that I you know they'll remember and they're like oh Claudia so you see your old teachers yeah 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 I do I'm I'm neighbors with some of them I'm even neighbors with uh one of my college teachers um uh Charles Chrishell he lives in the same um yeah 
Charlie works with me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie Chrishell, yeah. I love Charlie. Yeah, yeah. He was my professor at U of H for a whole year. Yeah. I took him for two different courses. He's awesome. Yeah, and so he lives in the spring area where I do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just – I kind of grew up that way. Yeah. It's not, it's, I don't want to say it's like, oh, it's that small town feel where yeah. everybody knows everybody. Yeah. That's not the case. No, no. I've been to Springs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's, there's a lot going it's on big. over there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you go to the grocery store, it's just not uncommon to run into your teachers. Run into your teachers. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll go to my old elementary school. Everything seems a little bit smaller. But oh. I mean, I can't even do that. I can't even imagine you going back to the cities where you're from and, and seeing all these, yeah. I mean, there's some places where I just have really bad memories too, you know? Oh, God, yeah. And so I've thought about, I've, you know, I didn't really like Columbia, South Carolina all that much, I don't think. I mean, by and large, I, I think that it was pretty terrible. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a, my parents are Pakistani and so they're Pakistani immigrants. So mm-hmm. it's always been interesting to be a Pakistan, the, you know, first generation American born to Pakistani immigrants mm-hmm. living in the South exclusively. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. So. I mean, I, I'm, I'm Hispanic. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know what, what sort of, um, memories you have of South Carolina. Yeah. Cause I can't be like, well, here in Texas, everybody is a lot nicer and the, <laughs> because no, I, we've, we've had our share of, uh, very unpleasant, um, memories and. Oh, well, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. moving on, moving from the unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, moving from the unpleasant to the more unpleasant. That's pretty much my specialty. I mean, I I really wanted to talk about your investigation for the Houston Chronicle, serial indifference. Oh, okay. yeah, that just came out. This was pretty dark. It was uh, going through it. A, a lot of people were aware of this story of this young woman named Jenny who mm-hmm. was a rape victim. Yes. And she was incarcerated for refusing to give testimony against her rapist. Serial Indifference is an account that you wrote. And uh, it's a series of the failures in the criminal justice system and how they allowed a serial rapist to go free. Yes. How did you approach this story? First of all, I want to ask you real quick. Was this one of the biggest things that you dealt with because this was written in chapters yes was this one of the more serious investigative pieces that you came across and you were like holy shit this is going to be a scandal so i definitely would say it's one of the most ambitious pieces of journalism that i've ever taken on um i've been on teams with doing large-scale investigations we did one into the harris county jail uh in 2015 uh the I guess the way I would say that when I, I, I said, it was more like, this is a crazy story. This is, did this really, did this happen? Let me look at this. And um, the way I approached it, when I first approached it, like you said, I was, I was looking at Jenny's story. I was looking at what happened to Jenny and I was investigating that. And I was looking at this legal measure that they had used to actually jail her because they were trying to, you know, ensure that her testimony, she'd had a mental breakdown on the witness stand and they wanted to ensure that she would testify against her assailant, this man named Keith Hendricks. And so when I was first looking at this case, I was looking at her specific 
what it, the legal measures that they had taken, had this happened before, had they done this to other witnesses, you know, how often had this happened, how often are they using this legal measure. In that process, while I was doing that, I was looking, uh, I looked at um, Keith Hendricks, the uh, rapist, I looked at his background in the criminal justice system, and what I found was looking through his background, you know, Kurt, just a Kurt first initial cursory look, I was thinking, looking back and I was like, this guy's been charged with sexual assault since 2006. This is okay. You know, and sometimes there's very, um, without going into the minutia of the way that court records and stuff work in Harris County, you could be looking at the same case that's been refiled. So, you know, and so I had to do, I had to go deeper and look further at these court records. Cause what I was seeing was, I was like, is that he was charged then it was dismissed and it was charged and it was dismissed. And I was, I, I was like, this is, this can't, this can't, no, really? And, you know, I, and so I, I actually started looking deeper at the court records. And so the story actually shifted for me from, you know, with being about just how, do, how do you come to the, you know, how do you come to, uh, jailing a woman of, of rape victim for her testimony to, did this woman necessarily have to ever have been raped by this man? Should it have ever come to this? And so that's really, that's where, I, I don't know if I answered the question properly. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. What I would like to yeah. point out, reading this story, it's told in four chapters. Yes. What I personally, as a reader, mm -hmm. what I really liked was that you used the word rape. Yes. And not just sexual assault. Right or a sex crime. Right. It was a rape. It was a rape. Yeah. He raped these women, homeless women mm -hmm. all around Houston. Yeah. And he was a serial rapist. Right. How did you as a woman feel covering this from the very beginning, from beginning to end and having to tell these women's stories? One, I'm trying to remember her name. One of them was deceased. Um, because they went back and were, you know, she would have probably been one of the Dawn. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah Dawn. Mm -hmm. And she died in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yep. What was it like telling these women's stories? It was, it's incredibly difficult. It was incredibly difficult in a lot of ways to read the details of, I've been covering crime, like I said, for about 10 years. Um, before I was on the investigations desk, I was a crime reporter and so I've covered a lot of gory, gruesome, sort of been inundated with death, dying, and destruction and corruption <laughs> mm -hmm. for many years. Uh, but whenever you read the details of what happens in, in cases like this, it is painful when you actually talk to the women, when you get to, and when you interview the women, the women that I, the victims that I interviewed, and they relay their stories and what they can remember. And especially these, a lot of these women were homeless women. They have gone through so much, you know, living on the streets as it is. And even more difficult than having to relay these details back, it was, I think what touched me the most was when the victims would tell me, thank you for caring. <laughs> Because I didn't, you know, there was some reluctance a lot of times with people wanting to speak to me. They didn't know why I wanted to. They weren't used to anyone being interested. Right. They've been living their whole lives thinking, oh, nobody cares about us. We're just the homeless. Who's going to listen to us? Right. Who's going to believe us? Or, the, you know, that there's something, 
self-serving in all of this or what, you know, and really the thing was, is that they're so brave because I can't, I don't have anything to give them. I'm just giving them an opportunity to tell their story. And that's what I told them. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing else in this, you know, and so you can say no, or you can say yes. And I was really fortunate to be able to have a lot of these women talk to me. I mean, I I think that it's always difficult. uh, I'm trying to difficult to talk about you know, when you're writing this stuff for me, it's not, I would be, to be honest, it's not as, because I'm, I, like I said, I've seen so much. I've written about a lot of horrible things that have happened. And what I have to be careful about is the people who don't, which, which is most people who don't have that same experience as me and not polarizing the reader. But at the same time, I didn't use words like sexual assault or just sex crimes uh, because while those might be the criminal charges, it is rape. <laughs> so for the lay, for the regular, for, for most people, that's, I mean, that is what it is, you know? So even if it's aggravated sexual assault, you know, that's so, that's so jargony. So I didn't want to use words like that. And I never try to, in my writing, I try to use words. I try to get away from the jargon as much as possible. Sometimes we have to technically use you know, when we write down what someone's charged with, we have to use those those particular words, but um, in that the legal system uses. But I mean, I think that there's a disconnect for people. You know, when you do when you when you make it so scientific, you know, right? And they're like, oh, sexual assault, right? What does that even mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it, uh, to me, it, it can it's very broad. Yeah, and it can mean a number of things, right? So to label it as rape and say it is this is rape that happened to these homeless women, it had a major impact on me as a reader. Yeah. And I, I want to read a quick snippet of your article oh, sure. that kind of sh- describes what kind of a monster you were covering in this story because he's a monster. This is from uh, Jenny's perspective. This is Jenny telling her story about what happened to her after after. Uh, She's talking to uh, Pedro Moreno, mm-hmm. who helped a lot in this story. And we'll, we'll get to him in a second. She said, once inside, he closed the door and yelled at her to take off her clothes and get on her hands and knees. Then he raped her while she begged him to stop. She struggled, but he put his hands around her throat, choked her, and punched her in the face. How difficult was it for you to write that down? Because... Reading that, I was, at this point, this was right at the beginning. This was in chapter one. This was like in the second paragraph. <laughs> I was already in tears. And I and I made myself go through the rest of this story. I was like, I'm going to, I have to read all of this. Right. Because, you know, I can't just put, the, it'd be a disservice to you as a writer, as a journalist. It'd be a disservice to the victims. It would be overlooking what this piece of shit did. How did you approach this as a journalist? It's not as difficult to write them down as it is to really organize what you're the way you're framing it for the read like you I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the reader as well you know and there were I mean my editor and I had a lot of discussions about how graphic we were going to get how soon you know and we went back and forth a little bit on that you know um, definitely there was this was a long editing process as well that went along you know went to this a lot of conversations with editors and my uh 
my reporting partner, who was my uh, who was a photographer on the project, Marie De Jesus, who I think is amazing. I want to give her a big shout out, and wish was here today. Hi, Marie. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but she, you know, it, we 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 definitely went back and forth a lot with how many of those details we want to give because it's for us. It's we're in the business of telling the truth, and we're in the business. It's of of you know that that's what there's no exaggeration in that that's what the you know that was what was in the records that's what that's what happened that's what her. happened to her and you know at the end of the day with this sort of story you you know people tend you know people there are a lot of people who who made us you might have been like oh i can't read this i can't do this you know but we couldn't water down what the story was about you know we couldn't just sort of kind of graze over you know the the rape part of because that's the entire, you know, it just, you know, kind of just say she was raped. She was raped. She was raped over and over again. It was a big reason. We usually as a Chronicle also don't identify rape victims by name. We don't, we protect, you know, we, that is, you know, usually one of our policies. And with the story, we decided uh, to use, middle names for women who, if the women we interviewed, when we interviewed them, wanted to be identified, we identified, we gave them that. We gave them their voice and it was absolutely okay if they wanted to be identified. Otherwise, we chose to use middle names, but we didn't want to say victim over and over again because we, I wanted, I definitely didn't want that. I wanted the reader to connect. These are real people with real lives and these things really happened to them. So I felt like saying things like victim over and over again, you know, that, those were, those kinds of decisions were really key. These details, I mean, it was, it's, it's hard to see. It was hard to see it over and over and over again. Even as a reporter, where you're like, it's so similar to her, her case. You, when you go down the timeline, you're like, okay, that's almost exactly what happened to the next woman. Almost exactly in the same MO, you know, and you're going through it. And so, that part was difficult. It it's was a horrifying really, pattern. Yeah. yeah. And too difficult to sort of step back and go, okay, now you're right, you know, and it's the same pattern again. It, it, it was, you know, it was definitely, you know, it wasn't something, it wasn't a breeze to go through all these records by any means. It never is, you know. Uh, but it is, um, it's, it, it, there was a lot of other writing decisions that were <laughs> very, that, you know, that, that, went, that there's a lot of decision making that went, everything in this piece was very decisive and done for a very specific reason. I mean, and so, and, and structured the way it was structured, you know? So it was more about, is it going to be difficult for the reader to keep going? It might be, but it was, uh, my editor and I, you know, we knew that this was, this is a story. We're not going to water this down. Now, this was also a national scandal and it even dominated the district attorney's race mm -hmm. last year after Jenny and her family filed a federal lawsuit claiming that her being jailed amounted to being re-raped. Right. I think that's, that's probably the first time I heard about this case uh, was when I heard about her being jailed for this and then uh, Devin Anderson came out and gave a statement. Right that was not at all sympathetic or didn't do much to answer the question as to why it happened. Yeah. It was very defensive. She took a very defensive stance 
and kind of doubled down and said, hey, we did what we did and we thought that this was the best thing to do at the time. Right. You Were you already working on this piece at that time or was that something I, that led to you starting to work on the story? I was working on this a little bit before all of that broke. Um, trying to kind of get the details of what had happened. And then this lawsuit broke and all of this stuff came out. And so then I went into full full force looking at it, like spent my all my entire focus went to this story. So there were definitely things in this statement from that came from the DA's office that, you know, um, such as, you know, this man was very dangerous he needed to be put away we had no you know they had no this was the the option this was what they had they were in all of the things that were said by um devin anderson and the da's office at the time sort of defending their decision to to have jenny jailed or put you know in custody that in incarcerated in harris county jail uh i shouldn't say incarcerated but she was in custody there in harris county jail where she's being held to that led up to all of this and those are really powerful statements to make and in a really really bold decision to defend so of course that is going to get that that is something that got a lot of scrutiny so yeah that was i mean that was definitely part of what also was like okay well like was he you know was it was he was he really dangerous was he that so and, and it, you know yeah he was absolutely he really was but there was more to that story right yeah. and I, I don't want to give away too much sure. because i would like people to go out and read the story can you tell our listeners where they can go and find it so if people want to read the story they can go to houstonchronicle.com forward slash serial indifference altogether. It has its own web page, the whole, the story. They can read all four chapters. We also have some really great interactives and we have a special page for the, for all the victims, um, are. And so it's, it's, it's its own little site within the site, which is great. So I also want to say Rachel Gleason and, um, Jordan Rubio, which are the, were the web designers on this project and also report and also partners. This was a team effort. I just want to like, that was, it's really important to me to say right now is that I work with a, my, my editor Vernon Loeb and my report, like my reporting partner, Marie de Jesus, who's a photographer on this project and Rachel Gleason, Jordan Rubio. There's so many other people, uh, our art department that designed each page layout for each day that this was in the paper. This was everybody who believed in this, it was a, a, a f- I couldn't have asked for a more phenomenal team of journalists to be on this project with me, caring about this project and making it what it is. This was not just. I wish they were all here because this is this was all this was all of our work, you know. So I'm 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 honored that they that it was because of them that this is this is possible. <laughs> Everything was incredible. Your writing was phenomenal. The web page was gorgeous. Thank you. Just the start of it, when it just Thank started you. with the snippet, I, yeah. already I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in for like a cinematic adventure, you know? Yeah, big up to Jordan Rubio. Yeah, <laughs> it was so cool. The yeah. photos of Houston. Marie. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I think yeah. when I saw those photos, it was, they were beautiful black and white. Yeah. But at the same time, those are places that we see every day. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people lived around that that small little pocket there in Midtown yeah. that's like right third ward Midtown-ish. Yeah. And yeah. you see the Fiesta, the Fiesta and yeah, the Sears. Sears. Very 
Houston yeah. landmarks. Yeah, it was it was gorgeous in that aspect. And I wish Marie was here so she could tell you the adventures we had in the way that we, we get okay, those photographs. We need to get Marie in here. <laughs> can can we call her up right can we now? Call Marie. Should we call her? <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I'm really excited to talk to her too because uh, she is a phenomenal photographer. She's yeah. amazing, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm really excited to to get her on the gallery as well. So she's like, so awesome. I know. And she's, I'm excited to hear about your adventures. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah really yeah. great. Let's, she, let's do a part. Let's do a part two. <laughs> this is part one. Everybody listening. This is part one. We're going to do a part two. So stay tuned. So from start to finish, how long did this entire project take? Probably a little longer than this, but I, I calculated officially at about eight to nine months. And full time, this was my everyday. So this was a baby. Yes, basically. this was my baby. This is your baby. I felt when we published, after we published this, and it was finally published, people were like, "You look really skinny," and I was like, "I actually <laughs> had a baby. Yeah, I had a baby. <laughs> I went through the morning sickness, guys. That's- I was sick every day, <laughs> but I made it through. No, it was. It's. It's. That's what jur- for me. I mean, writing storytelling and journalism especially when you do big when you work on projects you these projects because they're you and you when you're investigating you're on any kind of a project any kind of project work investigations they are your they're your everything and so i don't have like i have some dying plants but i don't have like i don't even have a goldfish right so this was like for better or for worse it's your life this was my life yeah. and so <laughs> probably not really healthy you can get like a psychologist on here afterwards to it's do cool <laughs> you know but you know everybody everybody has their thing you know but this yeah it was it was my entire i didn't this was this was everything and so and that's and that's what it is in, in every single time I mean, like the babe and so you treat it like a, and so like and the editors know that you're treating it like a baby and you're really protective. You're like, what do you want to cut out of this? Why would we cut that out of the story? My editor probably could tell some funny stories about that, you know? So, <laughs> um, but it's, and you're, it's just, but I love you, 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 you're so married to this thing, you know? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's, it's my baby and it was my baby. It's still my baby. I've been I'm wanting not in this position. I'm like, I want to like keep turning the tables back on you. Like, so Claudia. <laughs> I mean, do you want to make this about me? Cause we totally, can. Oh, can we? <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely, if you want to ask me some questions, I am absolutely open to it. I will answer any question you have. We should do a reverse gallery where I come in and, and interview you. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think that's what my listeners, that's what my listeners want. (laughs) They want to know more about me and my cat. So you can ask questions about him. I don't know anything about your cat. What's your cat's name? Um, His name is Pinoshi. (laughs) It's a really cute name. (laughs) It is not his real name. It is one I gave him because I disagreed with the name that my family gave him. Which was? Remy. (laughs) They named him Remy after the rat from Ratatouille, the Disney movie. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I... I was so insulted. I was very offended because I, I I just I didn't think that you should name him after a rat, even if it is like a cute Disney character. You know, cats don't like rats. No, they no. do not. <laughs> and so I was like, I started calling him. He has several names. Yeah. He's got like about twenty different names. Yeah. I call him like Wilhelmina. Um, I call him Caracol, which means shell in Spanish. Um, uh, Caramelo, which is mm. caramel in Spanish. <laughs> Um, and then I just kind of settled on Pinochi. 
Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> it just it kind of came to me. Appaloosas. Oh yeah, Appaloosas. Appaloosas. It's like his place that we drive past when we go to New Orleans. Yeah. And it's just, oh, it yeah, just says Appaloosas. Appaloosas. Yeah, I've and seen so that, I started yeah. calling him Appaloosas Pinochet. Um, there's also a street in, in the he's French just, Quarter. Like, this poor cat's having like an identity crisis. He's fine. He's, he's <laughs> fine. He loves it. He's, What's my name? <laughs> he's like, what am I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he doesn't know. He's loved. He's loved. Um, but we take lots of pictures of him. Well, I do. Uh, my fiance's deathly allergic to cats, so he can't be around him. Uh, See how I turn this around? See yeah. Turn it around? I saw that. That's a good trick. That's a good trick. I need to start doing that to people. I need to learn your tricks. Let's hang out, please. Um, let's see. What else? Is there something that you wanted to talk about? Is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon? First of all, I just thank you again for having me. I'm really touched and honored that you wanted to have us here on this podcast. I wish Marie was here. Um, hopefully we can have a part two. You yes. Know? And yeah, so, let's do it. I'm, I'm down. And so that I'm so grateful to everyone who has read Serial Indifference or um, is going plans to read serial indifference or wants to read it and that has gained something from it we did a sort of a forum at the chronicle where a lot of our we invited our readers who wanted to come in and hear about the investigative process of serial indifference my editor and i spoke to them and it was a much larger crowd that i anticipated i'm always i'm just sort of like wow all these people read the story and that actually really warms my heart because it's it's not not for me it this story, this entire thing was done for the victims. This was about them. Mm -hmm. It was about, you know, Jenny, Dawn, Christy, Melissa, everybody. It, this is for, this was for them. This is about them. This was, the, this was their story. And so for people who read it and gleaned something from it and realized all of the difficulties and how nuanced rape is and I, it just, it, it, you know, the, the people that wrote in to me and said that, you know, it, it changed their perspective, you know, on, it, I was really, you know, a lot of times with, you kind of expect to get a lot of negative feedback more than positive feedback. So I was really grateful for all the positive feedback and that, that, that was a true inspiration for the story was telling these women to, was for these victims and for all victims of crime, especially rape victims. I shouldn't say especially rape victims, but crime, you know, people who've gone, you know, through violent, you know, through the, that trauma, through the trauma mm -hmm. and, uh, that the, someone had asked what the greatest benefit to me, you know, was. And so a, another question a reader had had was, you know, what, what do you find was a, t a tangible result of, of this or not even a tangible, but what was the, and I, and I just said, you know, the, the idea that we were able to give these women a, a, a space to tell their story they hadn't gotten to do before or they didn't feel like they had a voice before and that was actually the most gratifying thing about being able to do this story you know a lot of times we really hope that when you do big pieces of journalism and investigative journalism you also really hope for some government impact you know and you hope that and and there's been great things that have been happening in, in the legislature um and but it's not always just those very tangible things that are important with journalism. It's also just public perception, you know? And I, and if this 
changes people's minds. Just that was the, I guess what I'm just trying to say, I wouldn't really wanted to talk about my motivation and my inspiration for that, for the story. Yeah. And that it was the victims, you know? And so, um, and being able to tell their stories, I felt very honored to be able to do that. I feel very lucky that they let me into their lives. Um, pa- Pedro Moreno, all, you know, even just everybody that let me interview them, even just this entire story was a, very huge process and so I'm I'm really grateful for you know the opportunity to have to be able to do it and also again I want to just stress that the team um, of people that worked on this together this was a team effort and this was I mean it was wouldn't have been possible without every single person we were not just it, it was it, it wasn't just you know people doing pieces of the puzzle like the logistical aspects of things. We were a team. We were each other's moral support. We made each other laugh. I mean, there's a there's a really ga- funny gallery of hilarious photos that's on Facebook somewhere that we had put together of just all of us in the like late night hours. This sort of goofy stuff that goes on, you know. It's just a, it was very much. Um, I I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate everybody who read it. As a writer, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask yeah, a sure, couple sure, more sure, questions. Sure, sure, absolutely, yeah. As a writer for the Chronicle. Have you ever been contacted by some interesting readers that really want to give you their opinion? Oh, yeah. We're contacted by interesting people. All the time. All the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm being really nice. Sure, sure, say sure. interesting sure. people. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I've heard some stories from some friends yeah. uh, that have worked in, in TV and mm. newspaper mm-hmm. journalism. But yeah. I, I feel like there are always people that are reading things or watching things and yeah. they want to give you their opinion. Yes. They want you to know yes. what they are thinking. Yeah. And what you did wrong and how you can do your sure. job better. Sure. Do you get those all the time? Sure. Yeah. I think we all do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know what? I, I, I welcome, I appreciate it because you know what? To me, a reader's a reader. So, yeah. uh, I, uh, I, I welcome it. And I always, I always, I always write back to those emails and I say, thank you for reading the Houston Chronicle. And I appreciate your opinion. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you do reach back out to them every single time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. People, you know, if it's so, you're so, pa- you're passionate enough to like get on that computer and send that email. You <laughs> if know, you want to, I'm going to send you one back, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and either way, I appreciate you reading. Even if you think I am the stupidest person in the entire world, or I don't know how to use a comma, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> you don't know you how know, to use I, a comma. I, I accept all complaints and compliments. So. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, according to Urban Dictionary, yeah. and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> and I, I, I can't speak for all my colleagues, but I'm pretty sure we all appreciate the emails. Can you share probably one of the most interesting emails you've ever received? You know, I can say that there are a lot of interesting, got really interesting just snail gi- mail too. Was, it was a gist of it. Like, uh, just do your job better or... There have been some, there's been emails that, I, I can talk generally about some of the most inter- more interesting ones that sometimes kind of confuse me a little bit are when you get an email from a reader and it's um, either, they're like, you know, Mrs. Hassan. You wrote about cats, and I would like to discuss the Obama administration with you. And you're like, wow, wait a second. I don't understand how you made this leap (laughs) from the story I wrote about cats, which would, you know. I liked the way you differentiated a calico from a tabby. And it's just one of those people who's like, I decided to write you today, journalist, Mm -hmm. to discuss this issue 
I'm going to pretend that it has anything to do with what it is that you just wrote about. And you're welcome. And you're welcome. <laughs> those are always really interesting. I get some pretty interesting prison mail. People, okay. Yeah, those are some of my biggest fans. Okay. Um, they read the paper a lot. Yeah, I so. imagine they do. Yeah. So um, get some get some interesting prison mail. I read all of it. I do. I really do. That's, I read, so, that's, yeah, that's so. great. You are a phenomenal journalist. <laughs> because I, I just, I don't know if I would. I'd be like, oh, I'd just look at the return address and maybe be like, oh, we're going to put this in a pile over here. Maybe. There have been some interesting letters where, where I'm like, doesn't someone screen this before? Yeah, why? I, like, I mean, like there's been some drawings that I've gotten that were interesting. I mean, it's kind of fascinating. It is pretty bit. fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and like you get a lot of like, oh, you know what? I can I can't, maybe we can share this one. I mean, I'll have to, th- I'm going to share a couple and then I'll think like maybe, you know, if I can or cannot okay. go. On. One of my, one of, I got this, this, this mail um, once and it was, it was snail mail and I opened it. I always, I like the snail mail better. Um, and cause it just, I'm old fashioned like that. But like, <laughs> and so I opened it up and uh, I was reading it and it was like, dear, you know, Miss Hassan, I am, re- I know I've been reading the Houston Chronicle and Houston's a great town, and it seems like someplace I'm interested in relocating to. I've been looking at the housing market, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, okay. And um, I hadn't, for some reason, looked at the envelope that I came in. You know, or I didn't look at the envelope. I just, like, pulled out the letter. And um, and it was, it was like, could you please send me some more information on housing? You know, this, this is a completely random, probably has very little to do with whatever I, I mean, what, with what I do at the paper. And I'm like, okay. And then I get to the bottom when it's like, thank you for your time of this, this, uh, this, this letter, you know, John Doe, you know, it wasn't John Doe. It was like what his full name was. John Cusack. And then his like federal inmate number <laughs> from oh. Maryland. He's like this federal inmate in Maryland. He's like, I'm getting out of jail. I'm getting out of prison soon, essentially out of federal prison. So thinking let's meet about up. Houston. Okay. And I was, you know, I was like wondering if you could like help me find a house. <laughs> I was like, that's a really creative way to find a realtor yeah. when you're in prison is yeah. to like write the newspaper. You would be, the, the, the callers are really funny too. That's something that's always really, people who call the newspaper, especially um, because sometimes people call and they just want to be like, I, what channel is this game on? It's like an older person who <laughs> like can't find their TV guy. And then you just tell them because the it's like, guy. what else are we going to do? You know, yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, but they, but people will call for directions. <laughs> be like i'm lost and i'm like how are you lost and you don't know where you are but you have a phone where you could find the the newspaper's phone number to get directions from well they're like (laughs) Like, well you're the houston chronicle yeah you know houston therefore i am on the corner of scott and Alger, like and i and i have literally actually just been like what else am i gonna do i mean i'm not gonna hang up on you be like no you know, if I'm like not really doing anything in the moment, like and I'm not on like daily deadline or I'm not in the middle of something and I have to answer the, the main desk, the city desk line, and I someone's like, Can you please give me directions to downtown Houston? I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure shit. And that's probably why they keep calling back. So I apologize. Like I know I'm not the only one at work who They're helps like, them out. That Anita's very helpful. There was a lady you who used to, to call, call every week and ask us to help her w- with her homework. She was like this continuing education student. Okay. Yeah. Like she would call Saturday night at deadline. Be like, I know you guys are close to deadline. She knew that because she'd call. We'd tell her every single time. We'd be like, well, she's like from Maryland or Boston or something. And she was studying journalism. And she was like this 
45 year old woman. She's like, could you read my story and edit it? And we're like, don't you have a professor <laughs> to do this for you? But one of our editors kept like, you know, letting her just kept humoring her he kept helping her goodness and so she just thought that she could call everybody and do it and like and it was it was you know she I just had a couple questions that was the game she'd always be like i just have a couple questions and you go okay well i'll answer a couple questions and then but then it wasn't it was that she wanted you to like read this entire story and edit the whole thing and give these very and you're like it's 10 o'clock at night <laughs> on saturday I'm not doing this. <laughs> well, at least she's, you know, it's it's a story she wrote or she's a journalism student or an English student. And she wasn't yeah. like, I need somebody to look at my calculus. Homework. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we would all be like, oh, <laughs> you called the wrong place. <laughs> ma'am, ma'am, we're all writers. Uh, I don't even think your our business dad's going to help you out with that. Like, <laughs> I'm going to pass you on over to the personal. I'm going to pass you on to Google. Like, because... That could give you a better answer. You know, you should just ask Siri shit. I sincerely do kind of appreciate. I mean, it's annoying, like when people, you know, they're like, "I read your story, and I don't think that you use that hyphen correctly." And you're like, "Oh, okay." Is that how you read the emails? Yeah, that's like in the that voice, voice. The voice. Yeah, that's my 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 like. Miss Hassan, dear Miss Hassan. Um, <laughs> there's also my. One of the funny things on Serial Indifference is we had these, when we were designing some of the page, and I, I don't, don't want to ruin this for people who are going to go read it, but I mean, so I, I'll let you guys be the, the judge of whether or not you want this, but it was, there's some, some interesting graphic things that we, gra- graphics-wise, like imagery um, that we did with uh, one of the, the sort of tabs on the page uh, where it's, there's a, it's sort of a metaphorical... I mean, maybe this is this is too much because people have to see it to understand it. But I'm telling you, like, yeah. you know, where the victims page, you see, yeah. if you notice that the folders disappear, yeah, that's supposed to be this metaphor. And Jordan was like really into it, and we're and I was really into it too. It was like this Hemingway esque, like the victims disappear, you know, like it's part of like the indifferent, you know. And yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and on one of our editors, Maria, who's Carrillo, who's fantastic, and it was like, was like, I just think you're gonna like people are gonna be like. It don't work. It don't work. The internet's broken. The Chronicle yep. size, the, it's all disappearing because it's on yeah. a timer. So yeah, it's yeah. just going away. It's going away. They're going to get so many phone calls. Yeah. We're, we're going to get all these phone calls from like grandmas and grandpas who are like, your website is broken. <laughs> <laughs> it's not loading properly <laughs> yeah. for me. Like, why is it it's disappearing? And so we did this fake phone call thing where Jordan was like, ma'am, it's a metaphor. And I was like, what'd you call me? Like, you know, like, like what did you call me? Like, what did you say to me? I was me? like, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. But as a writer, what project has brought you the most satisfaction? Ooh, that's... Professionally. A, professionally. So professionally and personally kind of probably is like this huge crossroads for me because I think being a writer and being a journalist isn't just something that's aside from yourself. It's very much a part of who you are. Right. Um, so that's a, that's a tough question because there's been a different kind of satisfaction from every single project that I work on and I put my whole heart into everything that I do and uh, I, I really try to. I mean, right now, obviously, serial indifference is probably something I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of our team and very proud of the paper. And, uh, and, you know, that, that's probably something where I've gotten a lot of personal and professional satisfaction out of, you know, that is, is that it, 
getting that dec- it's such a it was so it's it's long by the way anybody who tries to read it is long um but that you know uh, my editor was willing to give it that kind of space and that people were willing to spend that kind of time designing it Marie's going out and photographing and interviewing people with me. That's been, it was very professionally rewarding from everything from the final product to leading up to it. So, you know, doing the reporting, you know, I get, I, you know, I, I, I learn a lot too. I learn every day. I never stop learning. I feel like I don't think that I'll ever stop learning about writing, you know, or learning about reporting. I think you learn something with everything that you do. I don't think you always know everything and you're, everyone's just like, you, you know, you're just some journalistic savant or something like that. I, for me, it's just like, I hope I never think that way because I think that the second that you stop feeling like you can learn something is the second that you just, you're, it's the end. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what aspect then has been the most challenging for you of this story for working on or just in general yeah just in general as an investigative journalist as an investigative it's the challenges are there's so many and the challenges also can end up being very rewarding because you overcome the challenges so challenges can range from getting public records that someone doesn't want to release and sort of fighting with those with a you know an agency like yes these are public records yes you need to give them to me um waiting on those waiting through court files you know understanding um i was a part of the reason i was able to sort of do this project is because of my institutional knowledge of the criminal justice system and that in the harris county mm-hmm. so i was able to like kind of see through a lot of the jargon that's in court records but that's still you know sometimes you're sitting in a legal dictionary looking up everything you know and um uh and the challenges range finding people these women in my this in the women in, in the in this story in serial indifference, um, are um, most of them are still homeless, and so it's not just like going and knocking on someone's door. So that's a huge challenge, but it turns into a reward, right? Right. So um, it's this isn't easy, but it has its benefits at the end. <laughs> you sure. know, there's definitely a lot of times where I'd be driving to work and I was like, you know what? I just want to work at Mattress Giant. <laughs> like, and I don't even want to work at Mattress Giant. I want that guy's job right there at Yale and I-10 who flips the sign. Yeah. Like, that looks like an easy life to me. <laughs> with his with his earbuds in. Earbuds. And I'm like, do you, is there like a, a, like a sign school that you go to? Because you guys are all so good at it. Yeah. Is there like Velcro on that thing? Spinning. Yeah. Like, how is how are you doing that? And like all those high kicks and stuff, yeah. you know? And like, that's where I knew I couldn't. I can't do the high kicks, yeah. you know? So that was not going to be an option. But definitely. I can't do the Definitely heat. thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't handle the heat. I really can't. So, but you know. But you go in, I mean, and they're, you know, whenever you, I think for me, whenever I was just like, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. Um, every time I, I think with that, with every single project in general, I think of the people that it's going to affect and the people that are talking to me because you can't, you know, there are some stories that you do a lot with numbers and you bring out a lot of data and you always, to me, it's always really important to find the people that make those numbers come to life, that make the story come to life because I can give you a bunch of numbers about how often something happens. But if I don't show you, then, you know, um, then how does anyone relate to it? And that was a big part of how Serial Indifference what was really, you know, was, was I was really, I was nervous about, and I'm, and I feel good about it now, but I was, you know, I, I like to write so that it's a lot of uh, showing, not telling, just showing. 
uh, and and letting people draw what they what they draw from the story. And so, but when you do that, sometimes you're like, are they going to get it? Are they going to get it? <laughs> and so it's been really rewarding to see that a lot of people have gotten it. So, you know. Legally, mm-hmm. what came out of this? So legally, I, I mean, I think it was important, first and foremost, this was for the victims, but also to show how nuanced the criminal justice system actually is and how nuanced sexual assault, rape, and sex crimes are how difficult the job can be for people on both ends, but where there can be indifference or especially that, you know, I think people want to think about a crime victim in the way that it's shown on TV a lot of times. It's a very perfect, pretty packaged thing that everybody can just get behind. And it's not like that. And I think that the nuances of the legal system. That is what I was hoping. You know, um, I had a lot of people in law enforcement and prosecutors and defense attorneys, all alike from different spectrums of the criminal justice system, tell me that they really enjoyed the story and they thought it was really important, really education, like there was a lot of education in it for people who worked in, in those areas. And that to me was like, wow, that's, that's really rewarding legally that people would like who are in these professions would glean something from it and think that, you know, people coming up in these professions could read the story and glean some important lessons from it. So I'm trying not to give away too much about the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. yeah, yeah, yeah let, let's yeah. keep it at a minimum yeah. because like I said earlier, yeah. this is definitely a story that not just Houstonians um, who subscribe to the Houston Chronicle need to read. I yeah. think people on a national level need to be aware of it. So then let's turn around back, mm-hmm. bring it back to our city. Sure, sure. Good old Houston. Good old Houston. What about Houston makes it a great place to do what you're doing now as a journalist? Oh, Houston's a fantastic news town. I mean, there's it's it's a big little town, first of all. It's in Texas. Texas is a great news state. We're all, there's always something to, there's always something to look at. There's always some interesting people. Everything's bigger in Texas. Um, they're so I mean this is a large city with an incredibly diverse population. I think blessed to have so many different kinds of communities. So, I mean, there are so many different issues as a journalist to like look at and explore here from the criminal justice system to immigration to, um, you know, our city hall reporters are great. Uh, and gosh, there's so, there's commerce, there's oil and gas. I mean, there's so much to make this. There's always something happening in Houston. There are a lot of big players here and there are a lot of key players here. There are a lot of small players here, but there's a lot that I think, especially with the country becoming more diverse as well. I think that Houston, and I've, I've heard a lot of experts like sociologists, you know, that I've talked to you about stories whenever, you know, in census stories and things. And when you look at the growing population in Houston and the, um, the cultural makeup, like that, the country's going to look more like that. So I think a lot of people can look to Houston as, sure. you know, a model for, you know, what the country's going to look like. Sure. And, and I, I think it's just, I think there's so many stories to tell here. There's so many people with so many different backgrounds. Um, and it's a great place. It's a great new, it's a great news town. It really is a fantastic news town. Someone's always doing something wrong too. So that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's always, somebody's always up to something. Screwing up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
makes for a good news story, that's for sure. <laughs> Someone's always done something a bit questionable. Is that a more diplomatic way of doing it? Somebody's always actions. murdering yeah. somebody. <laughs> Let's be honest. We have some crime. We yeah. have, there's a little bit of crime here. A little bit. Little just bit. a little yeah, bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Once in a while. <laughs> I like to end my show mm-hmm. by asking all my guests the same question. Yeah. And that is, what is currently inspiring you right this moment? It could be a book, it could be a movie, a song, an album. Yeah. What is inspiring you right this minute? Right this minute, I'm rereading um, some Elmore Leonard uh, books. Uh, I don't know if you've read Fire in the Hole, or he's just a great author. Uh, I'm reading Pronto, say- which is the first in this series of which Fire in the Hole was braced, like it's on... Raylan Givens, this character that he developed, actually that show Justified is based on it. Have you ever read? Yeah. 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 So I've been rereading some Elmore Leonard right now. So book wise, I mean, that's what's really, and I love that, I love that he's so, um, the narrative, in the way that he writes, the narrative is really, it's driven by the dialogue. And I really love that about him. He develops his stories. It's a lot of show, not tell, but you tell through, through these characters, you know, um, less prose, more dialogue. And, but really, I mean, right at this moment, what would be inspiring me, honestly, like, and what always in the moment is inspiring me is other people. So like, this is very inspiring. This podcast that you do, I, is che- I'm not, you know, I'm not, it, just, it might sound cheesy, but it really, to me, to see people doing things like this, it fills my creative well, and it really does inspire me. So seeing you do this, um, when I walked up here, seeing the people sitting on the porch, enjoying a Saturday, you know, a Saturday afternoon, uh, a family, you know, sitting around in, in the shade and talking. And uh, that is where I, people, I mean, I'm a storyteller, so people are always my inspiration. The people, you know, Marie, uh, who I've mentioned like a million times, you know, um, my best friend, Ruth, you know, she's, and like I said, like in this moment right now, this, yes, this would probably be the number one thing that's inspiring me. I think what you guys are doing is great. <laughs> Thank you. So that means a lot, honestly, coming from you. You are such an inspiration. You're a phenomenal woman. You're a phenomenal journalist. Oh, thank you so much. You you are just all around badass and oh, I'm don't know me. so <laughs> <laughs> oh well I'm don't kidding. you know I'm one of those people that would send you some snail mail oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about you no. Miss Hassan no I really appreciate it no thank I'm you really so much for taking the time to be here with us I really thank you so much it. for having me thank you for so much for reading the story I, mean, I really for, appreciate yes. you and inviting me on here I so honored i thank you on behalf of houston (laughs) thank you and i tip my hat to you thank Thank you for giving us serial indifference ladies and gentlemen go out and read it it is a phenomenal phenomenally written piece and like anita said earlier a team effort and the houston chronicle we're so lucky to have you guys here in this city thank you thank you so much (laughs) if anybody ever has anything they I want to talk to me about our, you know, any story ideas or anything. I'm always really open to that. And so my email address, Anita, A-N-I-T-A dot Hassan, H-A-S-S-A-N at cron.com, C-H-R-O-N.com. And that's a really great way to reach me. Thanks for everybody who's listening. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for having me again. I can't stress that enough. Um, I when you reached out to me, I was I was super. I was like, I don't know if she knows that I'm actually just really lame. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, ma'am. No, you are not. I, I have decided. Be interesting. <laughs> I have decided you are not. 
<laughs> like, and I was looking at all the other people you'd interviewed, and I'm like, oh, I am not as cool as any of these people. <laughs> yeah, you are, actually. People <laughs> would be like, we're skipping over this one. <laughs> this is some bullshit. <laughs> like, so thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you for reading the story, and um, I'm, I'm just, I just want to say thank you again. And thank you for inspiring me today. You are amazing. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. And to everybody listening to the gallery, thank you so much for writing in for listening. Uh, it would really help if you guys went onto iTunes and rate, subscribed, reviewed us. Uh, that really, really helps us out on iTunes. So thank you a lot. Uh, keep a lookout. We will be doing a giveaway for this episode. Anita and I are going to sit down and we're going to hash it out. We're going to try to figure out what we're going to give you guys. Maybe um, some of my snail mail. Maybe some of your snail mail. <laughs> <laughs> a picture of Anita. <laughs> That's what you get. Oh, no. When we, get, so like, we, we get a bunch of people writing in. <laughs> They're like, hell yes. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can email me at thegallerypodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, The Gallery Podcast, or find us on Instagram at The Gallery Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>